0: Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. America's best days are yet to come. This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak. your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C.
1: On this episode of Reaganism, Roger sits down with Gordon Lubold, a national security reporter for The Wall Street Journal, covering both the White House and the Pentagon. Roger and Gordon discuss the Trump and Biden White Houses, the biggest national security stories of 2021, including the events that took place on January 6th, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and a look ahead to what we can expect in the coming year.
0: Gordon Lubold, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you are a White House and national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Uh, You've been covering national security and foreign policy throughout your career, uh, Military Times, Foreign Policy, Defense One. uh, And then we met each other, I believe, when you were working uh, at the Financial Times, the FT, somewhat like bookends, you know, covering national security and foreign policy for uh, financial uh, uh, publications, FT back in the day now, with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Have you always covered military and national security or did you come at this after something else no so i I was a local
1: politics and transportation reporter for a now defunct paper outside of washington called the fairfax journal and i covered like i said politics i uh, used to go to richmond for the general assembly each year and then transportation the building of bridges and metro and the airports around here um and really uh, kind of stumbled into military journalism by accident i needed a job and uh i uh was offered one at uh, as you mentioned military times it was actually marine corps times at the time and that's where i kind of cut my teeth uh covering uh covering the military
0: um when you went to the military times or marine corps times how long was it from that transition point um in your career, did you say, oh, I, I get this culture, I can I can speak the speak? Was that something you adopted pretty quickly or did it take some time before the military community kind of let you in and share their secrets?
1: Yeah, it's actually a really good question. Um, so I would say I, I still don't totally get it, which is to say like it's I'm always learning um, and I mean that. Um, it was definitely a steep learning curve. Uh, I did not have prior service you know, I, I don't come from a family that had uh, military service directly. And so it, the learning curve was actually very steep and uh, uh, Military Times for, uh, for those listeners who may know it um, is a very, it is kind of a trade publication for the military. So it's very, very for and about the military and, you know, learning their promotion system, their culture, uh, what's important, what's not, uh, took, it did take a, a long time. I was at about six years. I did feel like I was, uh, I had some credibility by the time I left, but it did take some time. time.
0: Well, you obviously figured it out and you went on to cover the Pentagon and the national stories and military conflicts around the world and the years since. You have an interesting beat now, one that I think is pretty unique. You get to cover national security and defense issues, but you could do it or you are doing it from the white house too tell us a little bit about your current beat yeah so i uh
1: i i've been well with the Wall street journal for about six or seven years uh the last couple years i was uh, i'm kind of i kind of straddle between the pentagon and the white house i had you know really the a privilege uh, uh, to cover the last year of the trump white house because it was just such a fascinating place to be from a national security standpoint and a political standpoint um and and so now with the biden administration i cover the national security council which is you know the the, the kind of the body at the white house that covers all the foreign policy and national security and then uh, i work closely with another couple of reporters at the Pentagon so i'm kind of both. Um, I think that, you know, being co- you know, able to cover these issues uh, with a slightly broader lens from the White House perch um, just helps me to kind of understand a little bit more about the kind of political uh, aspects through which a lot of these decisions are made, the operations, um, the strategy. And so it's, I, I feel like it's a, been a really positive uh, uh, and, and it just helps the my the readers of the Wall Street Journal understand, I think, slightly better uh, where some of these decisions come from and how they're made.
0: Interesting, we're gonna talk about the end of uh, uh, 2021 and the stories that made 2021 here coming up against the end of uh, the calendar year. But before we go there, the beat really stands out to me because as you just noted, it's kind of getting at the politics and the intersection between The president as an elected official, the politics that, of course, inevitably inform decisions that a White House makes, whether it's on the domestic side or the foreign policy side, and then these, you know, Pentagon defense, national security decisions. In your time in this beat covering the White House, you mentioned it started during the end of the Trump administration. Gordon has it. Resulted in a view that, wow, politics plays a bigger role in our national security decision making, whether it's how we send our military out, the things we say to foreign countries, the things that we say to American citizens, or is it about what you expected? Like, yeah, of course, politics plays in everything, but it's not any more, or any less from your perspective when you were covering the Pentagon. How much is politics at play now that you're living and breathing in the White House? It's another
1: interesting question. You know, I think that, you know, uh, while foreign affairs and foreign policy and things that the State Department does traditionally probably are slightly more affected by politics, the Pentagon has always been slightly immune from some of the uh, uh, political winds that blow in any administration, Republican or Democrat. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think uh, we've definitely seen, uh, certainly in this past year, um, but uh, under that last year of Trump, uh, um, Mr. Trump, uh, President Trump then, uh, you know, I think viewed the, the military um, certainly as a tool he didn't actually want to use, but um, I think was, struck by it being a major tool in his kind of political toolbox. Um, And so, you know, we were very busy, frankly, uh, that last year trying to chase different things that uh, he was doing with his Pentagon, excuse me. And
0: Give an example that obviously January 6th uh, is prominent there, but it happened beforehand. So it's not only a 2020 story, it's a 2021 story, but talk to us right now about the Trump White House, from your perspective, covering national security, the Pentagon, and the White House, and then how it's changed, if at all, with the Biden administration. Because we start 2021, to begin our year in review conversation here on the Reaganism show, we start 2021 with President Trump in office. Of course, he had lost the election at the end of 2020, but we had, of course, the drama and and, and, and the Insurrection on on January sixth, he leaves office. Biden comes in. All the controversy surrounding that, and you're covering now security. Give us the contrast between the two. Well, I mean, you know,
1: the example that I was thinking of uh, prior to like one six and all of that uh, was just you know, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Trump decided to pull uh, a lot of the troops out of Germany um, uh, that that last year. And it was a story the uh, Wall Street Journal broke. In fact, um, uh, a colleague and I uh, had that. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, President Biden undid the decision. but it was it was it, it, it was clear to me that was a thing that was done kind of through a very political uh,
0: lens and I think uh, it was clear that well while- let's, let, let's break that down real quick in, in a little yeah. more context. So, President Trump, throughout his time in office, he was very transparent about this. Yeah, he was he very about transparent about allies, specifically Germany, not doing enough to cover their security needs, Right, relying too much on the United States, and President Trump told the voters before he was elected and while he was in office that we have to deal with the so-called free rider problem. As a okay. result, he wanted to remove US troops from Germany. And you reported that it was actually a decision he made he was going to do, not executed, in terms of he didn't pull all the troops out. Uh, And then now you're sharing sharing with us that President Biden, when he came to office, reversed that. Was that politics at play or was that policy? Well, uh, it's an interesting distinction. I mean,
1: I think that, uh, by the way, uh, realigning some American military forces in Europe is... A really pretty good idea, and they've been focused in Germany for a long time. Uh, but I don't think that was the impetus of uh, then President Trump's decision to to, to pull them out. Um, and it was, as you say, there, there was a there's there issue. There were some politics with uh, <clears throat> Angela Merkel um, uh, uh, of Germany, and uh, I think there was a little bit of concern that. This was being done purely for political reasons, not for policy reasons. Although the policy, a lot of smart people thought, you know, that that that, that made sense. Um, uh, so it so so uh, it it just um, I think a, a decision like that would help reinforce to me that the military can be used in a very political way. And uh, certainly, then sliding into the back end of 2020 um, and into 2021 uh, that, 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 uh, we saw that play out. Um, and, you know, we can talk about it more later, but, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the Institute's own, uh, survey, which showed like a declining, uh, confidence in, in the U S military, I think was born in part from those, some of those episodes, which were, where people started to connect more closely, the military with political,
0: Nice. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about Afghanistan, which I know we spent a, a bunch of time in 2021 looking at, and I do want to get to some of the other stories you wrote, but sticking around this transition period, uh, early January 2021, of course, January 6th. Tell us about your reporting then, looking at the Pentagon, it was the Acting Secretary of Defense Miller, looking at White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, what stands out to you? And, and and less about the stories that we've all read, and 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 you know the deployment of the military was it was delayed or not? The sure. president have, have covered more. That's all well papered over. I'm just curious about you're a reporter. You're trying to interview people, get a tell a story, understand what's going on. When you think about that period January 2020 through the time of January 20th kind of what stands out to you in terms of like you're on campus and trying to have conversations and you know this is <laughs> we're in a different you know environment dramatically different environment or not you know, share, share a little more with us about that
1: well so uh, on one six uh uh January six uh I went to go the Wall Street Journal created uh um the, uh, we had a bunch of teams who were covering some of the protests uh, from l- later in the end of 2020 and then into 2021. So I was one of uh, of a two person team of several who were down on the mall that uh, that day. And so I got there in the middle of of, of Mr. Trump's speech, um, <clears throat> and it was. You know, really crowded, and there was a lot of people. And we remember we had kind of a lot of COVID concerns, so uh, you know there was a, a little bit of concern for people trying to cover this event and 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 be safe or whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, you know the speech ended, and um, people started to go to from uh, from the National Mall with those. People are not familiar with the way Washington is set up and then the mall goes down to the U.S. Capitol at the other end of town and uh, so we all started to go down there and and, <clears throat> and when I got there which was a little bit after kind of the initial kind of breach as it were um, you know I also cover politics in D.C. obviously and, and I'm I go to the U.S. Capitol with some uh, regularity and so you know what I was really struck by uh, you know them just kind of what was visceral to me was you know the 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 grounds of the U.S. Capitol were covered with people as everybody's seen on TV Um, but for somebody who's like been in and out of the Capitol over many years like I was struck by you know there were people in places where you're not supposed to go if you go the Capitol Police yell at you and uh, uh, and so it was just a it could it felt like uh, something wasn't wasn't quite right um and so it it, uh i will always remember i was there it was freezing cold it was you know kind of traumatic for anybody to kind of uh to experience um for different reasons and i I just remember that feeling like this is different without getting into all the politics of it i I just think that you know it was it was a really fascinating thing to uh to witness but but yeah, that wasn't quite your question. I think.
0: Well, I mean, so, so you see that, Gordon, and then you go back and your job, given your beat, your reporter, you're going to go and talk to National Security Council officials. You're going to talk to officials in the Department of Defense, on the civilian side, and the military side. Give us a sense of those conversations. Just when you're talking to your sources, confusion, clarity, clear sense of what was happening or, uh, you know, the chaos that was playing out front of the Capitol, was that also playing out among the civilian and military leadership of government at the time?
1: I I mean, it's fair to say, uh, you know, within the military, people outside of the military, everybody was uh, just kind of awestruck by what they were seeing and experiencing. So people did not have uh, kind of the mental precedent in their head to kind of uh, help explain. we had a a million questions that day and in the days following and and you know it it took a while for people to kind of just process what had happened i'm not trying to kind of overstate anything and be melodramatic but i mean i just think it was it was it was it was was hard to report in those days because there were a lot of questions and the people who normally had answers to them uh weren't able to answer a lot of the questions you know uh for for some days. so it, it was just a It was a, I mean, I was really glad as a reporter, I was really glad I was down there, Um, but uh, it was, it it made it all the harder to kind of report uh, uh, in the the days after.
0: Last question on this, and then we'll kind of zoom out a little bit, but was there any one person you spoke with, any one uh, source or perhaps institution in those days, be it in the Department of Defense, the Office of Secretary of Defense, where the Secretary of Defense sits, or one of the military branches, the Army, or someone in the National Security Council, where you're like, okay, there there is someone kind of minding the shop and making sure that we're trying to get some order out of this chaos. Anyone stand out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's one person uh, I, I probably wouldn't share who it was, but uh, who was kind of in the middle of uh, of a lot of this, who you know was trying to do uh, his job, um, but like I said, kind of was was really struck by uh, you know uh, what had happened and and um, putting aside uh, whether the military should have done one thing or another or, or 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 the white house should have done one thing or another i think uh i think people felt and this person in particular felt that did the government and did, did the military uh kind of let the american people down and so uh i remember just kind of the kind of um uncertainty in the person's voice. When I was uh, talking uh, to them, uh, this is a couple of few days later where, it, you know, I just think that it was uh, again, kind of so shocking. I don't want to keep coming back to that, but I just think that it was hard for for people who were in a position to maybe have an impact on what had happened or have prevented it or whatever to kind of process it and then figure out how
0: to move forward. Zooming out and looking at a story you wrote Nearly a year after January 6th and the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, you reported on the Reagan National Defense Survey, you mentioned that just a little while ago. A couple of big items came out of that survey. One is a significant decline in trust in the U.S. military, uh, trust and confidence. When you wrote that story and your own thinking now, how much of that in your mind is a result of January 6th? How much of that because you've covered the military for a long time as we uh, just chatted about, is it just a natural perhaps progression uh, from a military that was engaged in armed conflict, Iraq and Afghanistan, and uh, not so now, and you have other issues in addition to issues during the Trump administration, sexual assault in the military, gets a lot of headlines and otherwise. So do you see that decline in trust and confidence as something unique to the past 12 months 24 months or something that perhaps you would have expected given your coverage in military over the years?
1: Sure. I mean, uh, the, the the decline was so precipitous over the last couple of few years. You know, I think it, it's clear that you can't put it on one, any one uh, day or an event or whatever. And, and what we've seen is, you know, a, a pretty uh, bumpy political, the last several years anyway and for the reasons we talked about earlier like you know the military was kind of uh brought into some of that in a way that maybe they weren't wouldn't have been normally it wouldn't normally have been but i mean you know looking back yeah uh we have different events but then um i think uh you know the poll was taken uh after the pull out of afghanistan i think that was seen as uh you know not politicizing the military but I think it, that was a very political decision I think in retrospect we can uh, say again though that would always such a decision would always be a, a political decision made by a commander-in-chief um, but I think uh, it went so poorly uh, the execution of the of the withdrawal that I think uh, in people's minds they may have associated the military in a political way of course we have 1 six of course we have some of these other decisions um, you know, I think what struck me is like, look, I'm a journalist, and uh, we have always uh, uh, endured pretty low approval ratings uh, by the American public. Um, it's the cost of doing business, I understand that. But I, I, I'm lucky enough to cover uh, an, an institution and a culture or whatever, the military, that has always uh, enjoyed really high approval rating, ratings. So to see it decline as precipitously it was really a striking thing, as I know you know because it, uh, you guys conducted the survey. Um, uh, to see it decline that quickly was was, was striking, and I, and I think you know it's the it's one of these things where you, you know, this is uh, you know potentially a generation's worth of of change. The military and the American public and other you know political leaders are going to have to kind of make
0: to try to restore uh, the military's image in the American mind. Yeah, Um, well, we've been we've been talking about that, certainly our program here at the Reagan Institute. And we'll certainly continue to cover that particular question with our annual survey. One other thing that came out of that survey, which you wrote about and uh, we're on the Wall Street Journal, What's News podcast, discussing it was over this past year, you've seen this significant increase in the concern of the American people with China, the rise of China. The competition on the security side military side but the economic and political as well and that's where i want to where i want to go to next you've done a lot of reporting on this over the course of 2021 it's been a big story over 2021 the rise of china um one i want to highlight is a story you wrote in october where you covered actually broke news that the u.s military has Troops deployed in Taiwan. Taiwan, of course, is really the flashpoint on the minds of all those looking at the security situation vis a vis China. and The mindset of Xi and the Chinese Communist Party, uh, People's Republic of China, they view Taiwan as part of their country, historic part of their country. We have our one China policy where we've allowed for this level of ambiguity. But of course, Taiwan is a free, independent, democratic state, which the U.S. naturally wants to be behind and support their sovereignty. All this tension is mounting over the course, not just of 2021, but in the years prior. You break the story that we actually have troops on the ground forming a a deterrent and helping train uh, the Taiwan military. Tell us about that story and its significance and perhaps the pushback in the atmospherics and why that was so significant. I tried to give a little bit of context there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, sure. I mean, it was a, you know, for reporters, a, a fun to uh, have a scoop and fun to break news on something that uh, kind of actually advances people's understanding of, of the state of play of whatever it is. Um, uh, that was a story uh, that uh, uh, I had spent a little bit of time on, it, it was what a, 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 another reporter friend of mine calls a one fact story, which was basically, here's a piece of news with w- one fact in it. Um, I mean, the story was full of facts, but I mean, but it was basically,
0: hey. The new fact was you had Marines on the ground, right?
1: Marines and, and some soldiers. And, and to be clear, these are advisors who are helping the uh, 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 Taiwanese military to to prepare for whatever might happen. Um, it's a very small uh, group of you know 20 I maybe mean, a couple dozen uh, advisors. Um, it it uh, it was interesting because it it uh, it was it's very it's not a classified uh, fact, um, uh, but it's a very politically sensitive fact. And so I uh, got a tip about it it wasn't really a tip it was somebody just mentioned it in passing i said oh that sounds interesting i don't think i knew that um and proceeded to ask other people and uh you know got a lot of kind of like no comment we don't want to talk about it um but kind of got enough uh to where we could report it um uh interesting i didn't really get pushback uh you know i think people in the military uh who i think generally want to be as transparent as they can be were kind of almost relieved to, to know that this was now out there officially. And we had, you know, although there had been some speculation uh, in the regional press in, in, in Taiwan and in, in, in the region there, uh, nobody we, nobody had written that US officials were confirming
0: that this was the case. But this uh, was a change, you know, of status. It's, it's not like if you would have gone back to 2018 or 2019, you would have seen Marines on the ground or special operating, operations soldiers on the ground training the Taiwanese military correct
1: yeah uh, I think that uh, I've since learned that I think there have been some rotational forces going in and out of there over the years but not uh, as sizable not as uh, consistently present um, and and not at a time when it mattered as much. I mean, as, as uh, listeners of this podcast may well know, you know, uh, there's, there's concern that China could invade or uh, uh, invade Taiwan across um, the Strait there. uh, And uh, this would be, you know, a a concerning turn of play for the US because it would be confronted with, with uh, what was there any
0: reaction to the story from the U.S. military side, the civilian leadership in the Pentagon, the White House, uh, Taiwan or, or China that kind of got your attention or was it all as expected? Um, I, I mean, when you
1: publish a, a sensitive story, a script like that, you, you know, you, you're always looking for uh, worries that somebody says that you've misstated something or you've done something uh, wrong, or you you jeopardize national security, which is the typical thing. Uh, uh, so that didn't jeopardize national security. These people are not in danger because of my story, uh, uh, you know, at all. And I've been kind of assured of that um, since then. I think it was mostly uh, uh, what reinforced what I probably expected, which is the U.S. is, rightly or wrongly, taking a step toward more active concern about the yeah. security and trying stuff. to
0: deter, trying to do Correct. things to help uh, realize some deterrence Correct. to prevent China from you know, the invasion you described. And of course, China over the course of 2021, I don't know if you've been involved in the articles or your colleagues, has taken a lot of active measures to intimidate and challenge uh, Taiwan. And around the time of this report in October of this year, China had these, aggressive flights, not perhaps exactly in Taiwan territory, but near Taiwan yeah. uh, bombers and fighter aircraft and the like, leading people to think, okay, they're, they're practicing, they're rehearsing a form of invasion.
1: Yeah. A couple things on that. I mean, that uh, from uh, my own reporting, and I think as we kind of just know uh, I think U S officials and intelligence officials cite that those flights, which were, you know, there were many of them over the course of several days, um, uh, a response to a multi-carrier, multi-nation maritime exercise uh, the U.S. conducted with the U.K. and other countries in the region. And, and I think that they think that that was a cause and effect there. I mean, you know, what I think is interesting about the survey and, and the results of the survey, which I still can't quite fully get my head around, is that You know, it's interesting that a lot of Americans think uh, that China poses a a threat. I don't think, uh, be candid, I don't think the uh, US government, uh, the Biden administration, the Trump administration before that has done a terribly good job of explaining the threat. Um, People do maybe know, informed people may understand that like Taiwan is a place where a lot of the semiconductors for Cars are made, and so why is it expensive when I go to CarMax to buy a new uh, a new used car? Why is it that much more expensive? Why can't I get the one I want? Partly is because the new cars are are so limited, uh, in part by semiconductors, which are many of them manufactured there. Um, but I, I think that uh, as we as the country pivots and starts to get its head around uh, the the various threats posed by China, I think the the government, the military, the, you know, State Department, the White House, needs to do a better job of explaining why that is. So I was kind of surprised that the survey showed that so many people think that because I I think it, it's a pretty yeah. abstract threat to many people in most cases.
0: Well, uh, certainly the semiconductors brings it home, but I, I take the point more broadly uh, that, you know, the case needs to be made, particularly when it comes to potential armed conflict in a place half across the world from United States and in Taiwan, if that were to happen, and certainly something I guess you're gonna keep an eye on uh, in the year ahead in 2022. Before we leave the big stories of 2021, Gordon, another one I know that you spent a lot of time covering, you referenced it earlier, is Afghanistan, President Biden's decision to pull out, not to have any residual force, a political decision, something that he had said he wanted to do for some time, going back as far when he was vice president during the Obama administration. And then, of course, the botched pullout. Once the commander-in-chief, President Biden, said we're pulling out and the state's certain, it did not go as planned or perhaps there wasn't a plan. It didn't go well. We lost American lives, troopers, um, and we left Americans behind. That's still playing out today. There are still Americans in Afghanistan trying to get out. I know that you spent time on the ground in Afghanistan. pretty sure of that in 2021, perhaps not at the time of pull out itself but in the months leading up just start us out here gordon in terms of in 2021 were you on the ground in afghanistan and when and what were you doing
1: yeah um i, I was i spent about a month uh in kabul this summer between uh july and I sorry june and july um which was an amazing time to be there um, just as a side note like i was uh in southern afghanistan with uh with uh um the commander there, General Mattis in 2001, in the fall of 2001. Um, and I've been there several times in between. And so it was uh, it was a, a pretty the bookends,
0: trip. then you were there with with Secretary Mattis, then General Mattis, and then of course, now right before the the final pullout,
1: right. And so it was a, it was a fascinating. time. And, and uh, uh the journal maintains or maintained a, a bureau there and a house and I, I was living there and working there. And, uh, you know, in those weeks before the fall of Kabul, which was uh, mid August, you know, I think uh, we had uh, a couple interesting stories about the um, intel, the shifting intelligence reports that were showing that the Kabul government, the military was probably not going to hold for very long. At first, it was going to be two years, and then it had shifted. And then I had a story from Kabul about uh, it's shifting to uh, as early as six months, um, which uh, itself turned out to be too optimistic, um, as we now know. Uh, and so, um, you know, the, the, that period, I mean, that was the biggest story clearly of 2021 um, uh, for me personally, and not that particular story, but, but the story of, of Afghanistan um, uh, for this past year because it was just such a big strategic uh, decision, political decision, um, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I think it's very interesting. I think a lot of Americans believe that we should not be fighting some of these wars, and that's totally legitimate um, and, uh, you know, President Biden responding to that in some way. Um, but again, the execution of the withdrawal t- seemed to be done so poorly. Um, uh, and I, I'm not trying to make a political yeah. statement there, but I think, no, it- I think-
0: I think by all accounts, it was it was done poorly, whether, you know, you could support President Biden's decision to pull out and still say, right. hey, this was not executed the way it should. Two follow-up questions on that. You're on the ground, you just share with us in June July, 2021, of course, the pullout is later uh, in October, uh, August, September. They're, they're, they're doing all that. One, given what you saw on the ground in June, July, did you think Kabul could fall within 30 days? Did that surprise you? That's the first question.
1: So absolutely not, because I was making plans to return. Uh, I was thinking probably September. I would go back. We we do rotations, you know, uh, and so I was there for a month. I, I might have stayed a little bit longer. I was trying to see my family before they went back to school, and then I was going to come go back in September. And I was making plans, active plans to go. So I certainly didn't didn't expect it to happen that quickly.
0: So you thought so that was that was done uh, carried out quicker. Six months was probably I guess the intelligence you, you heard and you were reporting on, but 30 days or less was, was not. Were you surprised how poorly the planning was? Because you're there in June, July, I would assume you were witnessing and talking to people whose responsibility it was sure. to get everybody out. Yeah. Uh, of course, we give up Bagram Air Base, right? We have all the focus on Kabul International Airport and the whole thing unfolds before our eyes and it's chaos in june july are you thinking wow they're they're behind schedule they don't have it right or did you think they were going to pull it off
1: no no, no. i i um I, uh, my own reporting our own reporting at the time showed that, that there were concerning uh, i certainly didn't think things were going to fall apart in two or three weeks after i left um literally two almost two weeks uh um but uh, I had reported about the size of the U.S. contingent at the U.S. embassy, a big, massive complex there in Kabul, uh, had about 4,000 Americans, some military, but mostly, you know, State Department personnel and contractors. Um, really big number. Uh, the U.S. military was very concerned and was trying to convey to State Department of People and, and, and the White House broadly is like, this, this is too big for we you know we don't know what's going to happen, but this is too big of a uh, of a number of Americans. It's going to be really hard to get them all out, uh, and and of course the the so called SIVs, which are the Afghans who had helped the U.S. military. Yeah, the special America.
0: special immigrant visas. These are the ones who helped us, and we were going to help them get out.
1: Right, and and within the military, the, the ethos there you know it's leave no man behind, no woman uh, or man behind, and I think they thought more should be done to. Get some of these people out. The problem was, and in fairness, is you know the people kind of on the other side of that argument felt that if you started shrinking the size of the U.S. embassy and if you start pulling all these Afghan uh, SIV applicants out, uh, it could really shake the you know the, the 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 government and and it would lose everybody would lose confidence in it. That was happening anyway, uh, so you know. But um, yeah, we saw the the signs of of, of that, and um,
0: but just. Not what so about the Taliban so much of what the Biden administration was saying which was just shocking to those who follow Afghanistan for all these years was okay we're going to coordinate even the word cooperate with the Taliban to try to get people out did you see anything on the ground that suggests well that was something that ah, makes sense they are going to do or did, did that surprise you because you have a, you know kind of fine and tuned ear to what happens in a place like Afghanistan right um
1: so I didn't see active. Uh, well, uh, I was aware of, of of some dialogue between the the U.S. Uh, and the Taliban, but only shreds of it because at the time I left Kabul, yep. you know, the government was still in place, and so they that was the primary. Um, uh, you know, I think that some of the reporting broadly about the U.S. working with the Taliban in those days after the fall of Kabul, when we were trying to get when the U.S. was trying to get people out. Um, may have been i hate to say taken out of context because that's what people always like to say when they don't like reporting. but I, I think that some of that was uh just necessary they had to get these these they had to get the embassy down uh closed down and, and and people pull it out and the only way to do that was to do some coordination with the taliban which was you know as you know guarding uh, circles around uh that center core there and so that kind of had to be done if they hadn't done it and people
0: died or were stuck or whatever it would have been uh perhaps was, a worse outcome you you're, you're saying and you need, then you need to we'll do come. it well i want to look at the 2022 and get your take on what you think the story is going to be what you're going to cover that's a, a big part of probably where you begin the the new year you know where do i need to focus we'll we'll stick with afghanistan the question gordon lubold of the wall street journal is Do you think Afghanistan will once again become a headline major story in 2022? One particular story that has emerged, I don't know how real it is, is that Bagram Air Base, that strategic base in Afghanistan that the United States left in the middle of the night, reporting is poorly, if any, poor of any coordination with the Afghans, now is potentially something that another country might come in and operate president trump reported saying that it could go to china uh so afghanistan is it going to matter in 2022 what are you hearing about this base in afghanistan bagram i think 100 percent yes
1: afghanistan will be in the headlines in 2022 i just talked to somebody yesterday who um who was uh very informed and, and believes that. I think, uh, you know, uh, they have said public, they, the administration, the military leaders, uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who spoke at the um, uh, your forum recently, uh, has said, you know, Al-Qaeda could uh, regroup and form a threat. As, as your listeners know, the Taliban is running Afghanistan, but the, the, the threat to the American homeland and to Western interests generally comes from Al-Qaeda, which is, uh, tends to uh, get safe harbor from the Taliban, uh, which now control Afghanistan. And so uh, there's no reason for any immediate, from what I understand, any immediate concern that Al-Qaeda is, is, is reconstituting itself to, to, to the point where it's going to stage anything like another 9-11, which probably is not in the cards right now anyway. But I do think that uh, the people who are watching this, who, who, who are now, because part of the, what you just said about the Bagram Air uh, Base, the U.S.'s capacity to see what's happening on the ground is very limited right now um, by their own admission. Uh, but I think that the, the sense is that you know within the next year, they will need to start conducting strikes um, against... Cells of Al Qaeda that start to grow
0: up. Interesting. Going- so you think Afghanistan's going to be back in the news, and it's going to be counterterrorism stories with terrorist groups like Al Qaeda on the ground in Afghanistan, and President Biden and the Biden administration is, if I heard you correctly, is going to have to engage in these counterterrorism strikes over the horizon because we don't have a base in Afghanistan. I guess what you're going to be doing, Gordon, is evaluating and talking to military operators to see, okay is a Biden strategy that we could take care of the homeland and, and, and deal with terrorists without being on the ground in Afghanistan really something that can work well.
1: Right, that, that's a, that's a, that, that, that uh, will be a proof of concept we'll have to see. And I'm not saying that they're gonna have to send troops back into Afghanistan, right, as you point out. I'm just saying that I think strikes uh, are likely at some point in 2022.
0: Another question, uh, 2022, perhaps, uh, you're gonna be looking at Russia, Ukraine, we were just kind of chatting about this before we got on the show vladimir putin has a couple hundred thousand plus troops on the border of, of ukraine more or less i see your head shaking there not quite that much I there don't are think. there are um negotiations talks that are supposed to be scheduled between our secretary of state blinken and his counterparts putin is upping the ante, telling this is something that the, a crisis the U.S. is responsible for, telling he wants guarantees that Ukraine won't enter NATO, other Eastern Bloc countries won't be able to enter NATO, U.S. shouldn't give military support to democracies and friends and allies uh, on the border there on the Eastern Bloc countries in Europe. How much of a story is this gonna be in the early part of 2022 what are you looking for?
1: So uh, it, it will be a story in the early part of 2022. I think if, if something happens and I don't, I think U.S. intelligence officials and White House officials uh, assess that uh, Mr. Putin hasn't made up his mind yet about what he's going to do. I think others think it's a foregone conclusion that he may do something. I don't think it will necessarily. Yeah, I don't think we're not expecting World War III to break out um, the U.S. having just gone through this, you know, departure we just talked about from Afghanistan, trying to kind of pull back and not get overstretched in some of these places. The, the Biden administration has a big decision to make in coming weeks, to the extent to which it will continue to support or up its support for Ukraine to, to help it defend itself against any further Russian incursion. Uh, But uh, I don't think that the Biden administration is willing to uh, do too much that will
0: drag it into a war, certainly with with Russia. Does that invite Putin to actually invade, knowing that the U.S. is kind of self-limiting? So that's interesting because I think that uh, people from the region
1: think that, you know, Putin responds to deterrence. Uh, and, And so if the Biden administration ups the amount of deterrence the Ukrainians have at their disposal, Putin may decide it's not in his best interest. Uh, I think the folks here in Washington tend to think that uh, the deterrence, the arming, helicopters, missile defense, other uh, weaponry actually does uh, provoke Mr. Putin. So, and that's the debate that's kind of playing out right now. Um, uh, and so we'll, you know, we'll we'll kind of see. But it, you know, the time is nigh. I mean, you know, if if they're going to do something, if the Biden administration wants to do something, they probably do it pretty soon.
0: So we've talked about 2022 Afghanistan and the threat of terrorism. We've talked about just now Putin, Russia, potential invasion in Ukraine. We were just talking about Taiwan and and what what China might do. You're covering all this. In 2022, who's the most interesting player to you in the Biden administration? Is this something you just need to understand, Joe Biden, because he's driving this and he's the lead on this? Or are you thinking maybe it's, you know, the people he relies on, his team, is this you know the year of uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin because he has to manage these challenges for Biden out of the Pentagon? Or is it the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan? Who's a player in all this that you say, listen, to really predict and see what the Biden administration will or will not do across all of these challenges that you cover, this is the person I watch. If I know where that person is going, that's the best predictor of where the US will be.
1: Sure, I, I mean, I definitely think it's Jake Sullivan at the National Security Council at the White House. He's the primary advisor to the president on all these things. Um, briefly, I would just say that I, I think the the role of the Pentagon and the voice of the Pentagon to include the, that of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been minimized and sidelined. Uh, I think we saw that in Afghanistan and we saw it with you know, it the military. What, what do you mean by
0: that? The role of the Pentagon has been minimized and sidelined. Uh, I mean, I saw Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he's a pretty big, imposing person, distinguished military career. He had four stars on his shoulder before he became the Secretary of Defense. Why would you sideline that person?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I I, I invite you to ask the White House and we should try to ask the White House ourselves. Um, You know, uh, Pentagon is the Pentagon, but I think that uh, the Biden administration tried to come in and, and in their words, kind of right the ship. Um, which was the U.S. government and the and national security strategy. And, and so decided that they wanted to uh, restore some of the power to the White House. And that means the process and the power and, 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 and the Pentagon and the State Department was going to take, were to take more orders kind of from the White House just to be kind of.
0: So you're going to watch Jake Sullivan. Yep. Uh, you don't predict that what we see out of the Pentagon will determine what the administration will do. Obviously, they'll they'll execute and, and, and follow whatever orders they get from the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States. Uh, before we go to our lightning round, this is the uh, Reaganism lightning round where we ask you your favorite book, speech, and quote from uh, President Reagan. Uh, last question for you, Gordon Lubold, the Wall Street Journal. 2021, you are on the ground in some pretty interesting places. Starting in January of 2021, on the ground for the uh, January 6th, riots and then the attack on the capital, And then, of course, you were on the ground uh, in the weeks prior to the fall of Kabul uh, in Afghanistan in June and July. Where do you wanna be on the ground this year, Gordon, covering all these stories? I think what's really important this year is to is to watch more
1: closely and to continue to watch where China is operating around the world. I think people make the misconception that uh, China is of concern in the Asia Pacific, but as we've reported recently uh, and others certainly, is that China is, is expanding its influence in places where we don't necessarily expect it. The Gulf region in the Middle East uh, writ large uh, is is an area where we've reported where they're building bases or trying to. Um, we're seeing where China is uh, making other inroads to uh, to for us to watch, and I think that. Uh, while Ukraine is gonna be a very interesting story in the next couple few months, that it will be probably more fleeting and and where
0: we really wanna keep our eye on is, is, is on China. Is the global reach of China interesting? Okay, so we could see a Gordon Lubold story on the ground, perhaps in the Persian Gulf or someplace around the world, but actually telling a story about China. We will look for that. Gordon, before we let you go, we're doing the lightning round. This is again, where you share your favorite book on Reagan favorite Reagan speech or favorite Reagan quote. We'll take all three, two, or just one. What do you have?
1: I've got one, which, uh, you know, uh, my father was a a, a political independent, but he probably leaned Republican a little bit. He had on his desk the the Reagan quote, and I hope I'm not screwing it up. There is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Excuse me. And, um, uh, i think that's the quote that kind of that stands out to me uh uh from from the former president because i just think it applies in so many different ways and uh, the journal is a very collaborative place and i always kind of think of that and that's that's what uh, that's a what great
0: quote uh for those who want to get that a uh, quote on their desk you could check out the reagan foundation website and purchase it from our store and certainly a mindset that perhaps uh not something you get in Washington all the time people not being interested in credit that that is a certainly unique thing to see in the town of Washington DC Gordon Lubold of the Wall Street Journal thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit of the end of your year with us Um, we enjoyed the conversation wishing you a great 2022 thanks for having me
1: we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and on all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.